It's Monday, March 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Fool.com, one of the hosts of Industry Focus, Michael Douglas. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Industry Focus, as I like to say, Industry Focus is The Motley Fool's real daily podcast, because Market Foolery, we're kind of fudging it. We go Monday through Thursday, it's listed on there, it's like, yeah, it's a daily podcast. It's not actually daily, but industry focus, five days a week. Well, the only reason that works, of course, is because we have, I, I think, five to ten different people doing it, right? I mean, none of us holds that sort of daily volume that you do, Chris. Let's talk about healthcare, because that is your area of expertise. And as I said on last Thursday's Market Foolery, We've got Fool Fest going on, so so you and I are taping this. This isn't actually Monday, March second, and hopefully there hasn't been some huge news in the business community that has listeners going, "Why aren't they talking about X?" We're we're taping this ahead of time, right? Um, but healthcare is your area of expertise, mm-hmm. and I think for some investors, healthcare is one of those industries that can be intimidating for a couple of reasons. Um, one of which is it is so vast. Yes. There is like, do you even have a sense of how many billions of dollars we can look at? Just we can take individual segments. You can just say, well, the medical device part of the healthcare industry is tens of billions of dollars. Well, and what's even to me perhaps even more interesting is how different the business models are. Right? I mean, you've got your health insurers and your hospitals. And then you've got your med device companies. Then you've got your biotechs and your pharma stocks, um, and and it's just. And then you've got your generic drug makers, which really kind of operate on a different business. And then of course, you know, let's just throw in the pharmacies too, right? And of course, the pharmacy benefit managers, the PBMs, um, and so just so many different and diverse uh, industries really kind of under this sort of broader umbrella. So when you look at the entire industry. And obviously, the market itself has been on this relatively, um, <laughs> this relatively straight up run for a few years now. Um, has it been that way across the healthcare industry, or are there pockets of it that you look at and think, "Wow, this one has actually run up to the point where it's overvalued," but some of these other areas maybe undervalued? Sure. Well. <laughs> it all depends on how you value things, right? Uh, you know, uh, Janet Yellen, the uh, the Fed chairwoman, has a couple of times said, "Well, you know, biotech, for example, looks kind of pricey." And I would say, "Well, it really depends on the biotech, right?" And and how do you price something when you're trying to figure out what the future is? And that's the the real the real difficulty and and the real opportunity with healthcare is if you can understand a stock's uh, uh, drug potential before the market has figured it out. There's just Multi-bagger after multi-bagger potential returns. Of course, on the flip side, if you're too confident in the stock and then you know something goes wrong, well, bad things happen. Um, I, I think when you look at healthcare industry as a whole, it, it's tougher to value out like your your biotechs in particular. Um, I think med tech, insurance, hospitals, pharma, it, these are more stable businesses. You can understand them a bit better. Um, I would say that of the bunch, I find. Um, med med devices and probably hospitals relatively unattractive. Um, just why be, is that? You know, it's in part. Um, I'm not sure how how much growth I see incoming. Um, hospitals have the Affordable Care Act as uh, as a tailwind for them uh, because it's going to be more patients insured, benefits the insurers too, uh, and those insured patients. We know that when folks are insured, they tend to use services. Um, and so there's a some potential bonus to hospitals there, uh, but on the flip side, they're heavily regulated. Uh, 
they look kind of expensive to me from an uh, from a price to earning standpoint. And the same with med tech. The the growth opportunities just you know, you'll often ta- see a, a med tech company saying, "Oh yeah, you know, our knees and hips division posted great growth, two percent year over year." I'm like, well, you know, I, I <laughs> I'm not sure I'm really going to pay up on earnings for a two percent growth. So, biotech for you, that's the industry. Like for someone who's listening and thinking, okay, I don't really have healthcare exposure, um, and I, I should back up and say. There are probably people listening who don't have healthcare spo- exposure in terms of individual stocks. Right. Through your 401k plan, through a mutual fund, mm-hmm. you almost certainly have got, you know, Johnson and Johnson, any of the big pharma companies. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're probably in there, but in terms of individual stocks for someone who's thinking, okay, I want to start to um, looking at some industries, would you recommend biotech? I think for if someone, someone has the stomach for it. <laughs> If you've got the stomach for it, biotech can be great. Uh, certainly, the healthcare parts of my portfolio generally have outperformed the rest. Uh, maybe that's in part because I'm I'm focused on healthcare, and so hopefully, theoretically, that should translate to uh, to me being better at stock picking there. Um, I think for someone who's new to healthcare, you really want to look at a big, solid, stable company so that you can understand kind of how that how that works. You want something with broad exposure. Uh, I, I think um, two good plays on that would be Johnson and Johnson. And CVS, um, and 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 for very similar reasons, actually, you know, Johnson Johnson is a Goliath, right? I mean, it, when you look at its exposure, um, a little bit under forty percent of its uh, of its uh, revenue come from pharma, so that's the drug development business, which is kind of the riskiest business, but the one with the highest upside. Uh, a little bit under around forty percent again comes from med devices. Okay, that's a very stable business, throws off a lot of cash, and that strengthens that dividend. And then they've got about 18 to 20% exposure into the uh, the over-the-counter market, Band-Aids, Tylenol, stuff like that. Um, and so what you've got is just really this like broad-based company that is pretty good at everything it does, and it's a dividend aristocrat, uh, which... You know, I, I personally like companies that have been paying a dividend for 25 years plus and have been increasing it every year, too, especially through, let's say, multiple major stock downturns. Um, CVS straddles the... Uh, everybody knows the retail pharmacy side of CVS, right? But one of the things that people, I think, don't know much about are the pharmacy benefit management side, the PBM, which is less profitable on a uh, on a you know earnings compared to revenue basis, but it's really high volume. And so that is... Um, something that can be used to sort of help feed people into the retail pharmacy side. Uh, the PBM businesses, essentially, they, they negotiate with the drug companies, Johnson & Johnson's of the world, um, to get insurers and employers a better deal on drugs. Um, and it's it's a virtuous cycle for CVS. These are both companies that straddle different sectors in healthcare, and I think that gives you broad exposure and also some risk mitigation. If one sector suddenly starts having trouble, these stocks should be relatively insulated. Well, and what you just said about CVS is such a great reminder that as consumers, we can interact with a business, but the way that that business performance translates into stock performance may not be necessarily tied specifically to our experience. And I've made the point before that when I need a drugstore just to go in and buy whatever consumer products I'm looking to buy, geography is the number one. <laughs> of course, you know it's like, well, what's closer? I'm I'm brand agnostic when mm-hmm. it comes to if I'm looking to buy shampoo or razor blades or band aids or whatever. I, I'm 
Rite Aid, Walgreens, CVS, whatever is closer, that's where I'm going to go. But mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, I think a great reminder that as investors, you kind of need to look beyond what is your own customer experience. Well, and all too often I've had people say, oh, you know, I love CVS or, or Walgreens or Rite Aid. They're never cracked to open a 10K on it, right? I mean, Rite Aid is a wash in debt. And and while I think it's a it's a it's a stock with a lot of growth opportunity, I mean, I'm not necessarily bearish on any of the pharmacies. Gosh, I mean, CVS is already eating up the market share. They've, you know, they've got the minute clinics, just so many sort of virtuous things uh, working into the stickiness of relationship that I think will help them outperform over the long term, in my opinion. And the branding, I mean, you and I were talking earlier today, a year ago, February 5th, Something when, like when they announced, well, we're going to drop tobacco products, and the stock drops 5 or 6% that day, and you have people legitimately asking questions about the wisdom of a decision to kiss $2 billion in tobacco revenue goodbye. And now I think it's legitimate to ask, on the flip side, who is going to be the next big company to make that same decision? Because particularly when you look at CVS, not just saying we're no longer going to sell this stuff, but even going further, rebranding the, the business as CVS Health, you look at the the way they market themselves, their television commercials, etc., it really does seem like they are doubling down on that decision. And I'm just wondering when Walgreens or Rite Aid is, is going to make a similar move. Yeah. No, I think that's a, a legitimate question, especially when you've just got so much to some extent, negative press around some of these competing pharmacies. Well, and, and, and one of the reasons I think that that move away from tobacco was so smart for CVS Health is that, you know, in their PBM business, they're focused on, uh, you know, winning employers and winning health plans and winning insurers. Um, and what they got to do is sort of use this halo effect, right? Like, oh, and by the way, you know, when your people come in to, you know, uh, fill their prescription, they also will not be getting cigarette marketing. I mean, at the end of the day, you know that a smoker on your health plan is going to cost more than a, a non-smoker. Um, and so that halo effect, um, management suspected, and I think any sort of foolish investor should be thinking about not next quarter or the quarter after his comps, but what this could really do for the business 10 and 15 years down the road. And I think it was a smart move, a short-term sacrifice that could really benefit them over the long term. I want to dip into the full mailbag in a second, but you had mentioned earlier the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. aka Obamacare. When you think about uh, all of the predictions that were made ahead of time um, about what industries are going to benefit, which ones are are going to be hurt by it, that sort of thing, what do you think as someone who studies the healthcare industry? When you, like it seems like, uh, I mean, you mentioned there there were some winners. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any surprise winners, or did it just sort of play out the way that uh, that people thought it would in terms of? Well, wait a minute, if more people have Health coverage, therefore, more people will, you know. Yeah, so I think it's. I, I, this is one of the problems with the financial media is that often there will just be kind of freaking out about whatever exactly is going on. And you had folks like um, Aetna's Mark Bertolini, the CEO of Aetna, he, he, he just kept saying, you know, oh, Obamacare is awful for the insurers, it's terrible, you know, it, it, all of these sort of doomsday predictions. You know, Aetna's making more money. <laughs> and a lot of the insurers have actually done very well. You know, Anthem, uh, formerly WellPoint, um, pushed really hard into the exchanges and they did really well. And you saw United Health Group 
Um, and this is, I think, a real sign that the exchanges kind of caught a lot of people by surprise by how useful they could be to the insurers. Um, you know, United Health Group started by dipping its toes in. I, they were in, I think you could count the number of states they were in on one hand in the first. They're they've been expanding up to around 20, right? So like that is just an enormous uh, bump and an indicator that United Health Group recognizes, yeah, maybe they missed the wagon on the first one. It's time to get in. Um, and so I think people were surprised by how much the Affordable Care Act benefited insurers. Radio at full.com is our email address. Got an email from Albert Felice in Arizona. I've been listening to Market Foolery for many years, and I never expected philosophy to come up on any of your shows until recently. I happen to be a, wait for it, philosophy professor at Mesa Community College in Arizona, as well as an instructor at the downtown Phoenix campus of Arizona State University. I thought it was funny when you chose philosophy as one of your least memorable classes, which is understandable considering that the material can sometimes be abstract and totally irrelevant to everyday life. And I won't read Albert's entire email, but he goes on to to make the point that, you know, philosophy um, leads to analytical skills, which can be applied to any sort of academic discipline. Um, and yes, investing is certainly one of those. And, um, and he closed by saying, in fact, um, using logic in my toolkit uh, that I acquired as a philosophy graduate has made me a smarter and wiser investor. Philosophy gives investors a critical edge, which is a great reminder. As a college student, it just wasn't working for me. And by the way, I wasn't even <laughs> investing at that point. But you went, you're a proud graduate of William and Mary. Yes, sir. You must have had at least one class that you look back on and think, boy, I'm not really using that. Yeah, well, and, or even, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> it's more a class I wish I could forget, but uh, the, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. First off, not a philosophy class. I loved philosophy, just to throw you under the bus there a bit, Chris. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not discounting philosophy. I, I, I get that it works. I'm just saying, for me personally, at that point in my life, yeah, I just didn't retain any of it. Totally. I just couldn't resist. Um, no, for me, it was geology. Uh, I just, oof, I, and and the rocks and, and and just all i just couldn't and and it was oh man and, and of course you know i i was I have, it the proverbial rocks for jocks was it the basic <laughs> intro geology 101 it, it was basic intro geology 101 uh, 101 it wasn't uh, wasn't perhaps quite as easy as that name would indicate <clears throat> or at least my grade didn't indicate that um i uh man I, and you just couldn't remember anything for the test it was I, my brain just shut off. And by the time. way, isn't it great that there are like that people are different, yeah. and that there are people out there who are so enthusiastic about geology that they go on to become professors? And you know, it's it's great. It's great that there are enthusiasts in all these different disciplines. Oh, and I and I I can tell you, I have uh, my wife. It looks at investing is like, uh, hey, Michael, that's that's great. You, you do your thing. So so I totally get that. We all have to have things that we're passionate about. Uh, you know, here at the Motley Fool, we believe that diversity makes us better investors and better people in general. And that's why I think you see such diversity uh, among our uh, uh, among our our, our our team. So there was another class you uh, made reference to. Geology was the one that you hated, but I think there was one that, or, or no, 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 geology was the one you don't remember. What, do you want to call out the, the class that you're just, that you wish you could forget? Well, that was geology, oh, actually. Okay. Yeah, no, I remember geology. It just, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I wish I, yeah, I wish I'd forgotten about it. All right, before we wrap up, um, again, for, for investors, you mentioned a couple of stocks that I think for anyone looking to get into healthcare, 
um, great stocks to put on a watch list. And every investor should have a watch list, mm-hmm. if, if only so that you... Because to me, a watch list is such a great tool to explore industries that I don't really know as much about and are a little bit outside my own comfort zone. Yeah. Um, Johnson & Johnson, CVS Health, stable businesses, big businesses. Give me one more stock that's maybe on the riskier side or a little bit more on that high-risk, high-reward scale. Sure. Um, well, folks who listen to Industry Focus know that I, that I, I rarely pass up a chance to pound the table for Gilead Sciences. Um, it's uh, and and for the record, by the way, I own Johnson Johnson. I own Gilead Sciences. I don't I don't currently own CBS. At some point, I, I probably will. Um, Gilead is a a Goliath in two uh, two two areas of biotech and HIV. Um, and, and just the continuing combat there, and then also in hepatitis C. And that's been the real growth story at Gilead um, this past year, was their hepatitis C drug, Sovaldi, uh, essentially a cure for hepatitis C. Um, just fastest drug launch ever uh, in one year on the market, achieved over $10 billion in sales. Um, and then you look at their drug, Harvoni, which is sort of the next generation of Sovaldi, just it's Savali plus lead hyposphere. Um, just tremendous opportunities moving forward. This is a big market with a lot of unmet need, and we finally have the chance, hopefully, to see that market decrease. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people are really excited about. Didn't in the last couple of months, Gilead Sciences had a day where it fell. I want to say like five, ten percent, or something like. Like yeah, it, wasn't, it was it big. Went, it wasn't a huge drop, and certainly that stock has had a phenomenal run. Right. But there was, but there was something like another company came mm-hmm. out, and they also have a Hep C drug. So it was like, well, and there were some people who are just like, well, then Gilead is screwed, and it's right. like, wait, what? Well, <laughs> and it's it's funny because this is this is where knowing. Knowing your industry a little bit and really digging in is so important. So, so the competitor drug is called, and I'm, the thing in healthcare is you always butcher the name. You just can't help it. It's called Via Cura Pack, is I think how you say it. Uh, it's by it's by Abvi. I mean, seriously, we we spend time just trying to figure out how to say these names. Um, it's uh, not so Savaldi. You take it once a day. Or Harvoni, you take it once a day. Um, Vicura Pack is multiple times a day. Um, it's got some other potential drawbacks, um, but there has been a big fight about Savaldi and now Harvoni's list price. Um, and a lot of your PBMs and your insurers and your governments have been saying, "Well, you know, we're not really quite willing to pay eighty-four or ninety-four and a half grand um, Savaldi versus Harvoni." Um, you know, hey, Abby, can you cut us a deal? And Abby said, sure, you know, we can cut some deals. Uh, and so there's been a lot of arguing about sort of what that market share ends up looking like. I'm still pretty confident in Gilead Sciences, but at the end of the day, this is what happens in biotech, is you have somebody successful, everybody jumps on the bandwagon. Um, and there are a number of other companies that are looking to compete in this space, and probably will over the next couple of years. And that's why Gilead Sciences is inherently riskier than a Johnson & Johnson or a CVS Health. Healthcare is just one of the industries covered on industry focus, consumer goods, financial services, technology, a lot more every week, every day. As I say, the true daily podcast from The Motley Fool, Michael Douglas. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.